As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Well, what about that, everybody? The most familiar voice for any of you who go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yes, I'm Danny Kelly. This really is The View from the Lane, the Athletics Tottenham Hotspur podcast. And we've got a brilliant lineup for you today. Myself, obviously brilliant. Tim Spears, who's been covering Spurs for the last few months for us here on The Athletic. And that person there, Pete Abbott, whose name you may not even be familiar with, but if you've been to the stadium any time in the last <clears throat> quarter of a century, you'll know those booming stentorian tones. Pete is the stadium announcer. And Pete, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure to be here. Welcome aboard, Tim, as well. Hi, Danny. We'll be talking to Pete all about how he got this gig, what it's like to be the Spurs stadium announcer, and much else besides. First, though, um, we need to get on with the business of the transfer window. And I'm perfectly aware that as we're recording this, look, let's let daylight in on magic. We're recording this on Thursday morning. By the time we get this podcast out with all the trimmings, as they say about Christmas dinner, it could be out of date because Pedro Porro may or may not have signed for Spurs. But there is a new signing, Claxon, deal done, all the rest of it. Spurs have signed Villarreal's uh, Arno Danjuma on loan for the remainder of the season. They swooped in the language of the tabloids to hijack Everton's deal for the winger and he will join on a short-term loan. Um, there is an option to buy a clause as well. So for those of you who don't watch every La Liga match and don't remember his spell with Bournemouth, although actually it covered nearly two seasons, who is he? We've enlisted the expertise of one of our talented Spanish writers, Guillermo Rai, uh, to give us the lowdown. Gerard Moreno has made the run down the right. Lo Celso finds it. Lo Celso goes to the byline. He's pulled it back nicely and it's turned in. What a start this is for Villarreal. It's Danjuma with just over seven minutes gone. Almost a tap-in for the former Bournemouth man. What a season he's having and what a start Villarreal have made here.
Hola a todos, hi everyone. If I have to speak about Arnaud and Yuma, first I have to remember an anecdote that involves him when Real Madrid played at, at La Cerámica three weeks ago. So I was there at the mix zone after Real Madrid lost 2-1 and the first football player who left the stadium was Dan Yuma and because of that I had the opportunity to chat with him. There weren't a lot of journalists, I took the, the opportunity and later I spoke to his agent and sent him a photo with Danjuma and asked him how was him and if he had any injury because he only played for 10 minutes at that game and I also heard from a journalist specialized in Valencia and Villarreal News that Danjuma had an injury in his ankle but the answer from Danjuma's agent uh, really struck me because it was something like if this colleague of yours really knows about Villarreal then he should know that he's close to live on loan this winter and at that moment nobody knew about Danjuma's intention but he had a very clear idea that he wanted to return to, to England and later on I knew that he didn't have a good relationship with the rest of, of his teammates who described him as a difficult character but the truth is that one season before he was the, the leader of the team in a historic moment for Villarreal they played the Champions League semi-final against Liverpool and Danjuma somehow managed to score 16 goals between La Liga and Champions League games being a left winger but he has the soul of a striker or something like that he always has uh, the goal in his head and before that semi-final I remember talking to Alexander Arnold and he told me that Danjuma was his favorite player from Villarreal so he was more or less like Cristiano Ronaldo or the Cristiano Ronaldos of Villarreal I don't know if it's good enough the, the comparison but it's something like that and however the next season this season Unai Emery left uh, Kike Setien was named as a new coach and the Yuma lost his place in the 11 he had uh, several injuries and even then he still scored six goals so uh, all I can say is that he's a striker for certain he can be useful for Antonio Conde most of all for second halves and he can give some rest to Son, Perichis, Kulicheski and Kane but I really think that it will be difficult for him uh, to have a better role than he had at, at Villarreal that's for sure Yeah that was the Athletics Guillermo Rai who as you heard described Andruma as a winger with a soul of a striker. Tim what do you know about this transfer Because and, and this is why I, I don't keep across the in the nose on the internet all the rest of it as with Benton Kerr and uh, Kulusevsky last January, um, it turns out the Spurs can, for the first time in the history, keep a secret and sign players without it being all over the newspapers for weeks in advance, although not doing it with Porro. Um, how did this, this this hijack of Everton's transfer come about? Yeah, he was very, very close to signing for Everton. He'd, he'd completed a medical up there and his uh, representatives were due to meet him in Liverpool. They were what they were arranged to meet him at the train station for him to travel up from London to complete the deal, sign the paperwork, do the media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he never uh, he never boarded that train, Danny. And um, oh, it's like a mystery, isn't it? <laughs> Spurs had swooped in by that point. I think it was Tuesday morning that they um, that they made their inquiries. They had been monitoring the situation quite closely. Obviously, it's no secret that they've been looking to bring in a forward to, to boost their forward options. And, um, and yeah, they got the deal done sort of remarkably quickly, really, within sort of 24 hours. It had all been done and dusted. Um, the player had misgivings over, understandably, you know, what's happening at Everton. Uh, from what we're told, he was he was keen to work with Frank Lampard and, and wanted assurances that Lampard was going to hang around at least for a little bit. And obviously um, that didn't happen. He was sacked on on Monday, wasn't it? So, um, so Spurs swooped in. 
uh, Fabio Paratici very much uh, still involved, you know, despite recent sort of developments. And yeah, he's a, he's a Spurs player, um, at least to the end of the season on loan. There's an option to buy him in the summer for around 20, 25 million pounds. So uh, it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting move. Um, it's um, he's had an interesting career. He's had to sort of go down to come back up again. People might remember him at Bournemouth. They might remember him not making an impact in the Premier League because he didn't score in that first season. But in the Championship, I mean, he was you know far too good for that league. He, he fired Bournemouth into the playoffs that season with a remarkable run in the final 14 games of the season of 11 goals and five assists in 14 games, including uh, uh, the two goals that Bournemouth scored in the playoffs that summer against Brentford, but but they were beaten by Brentford three to an aggregate, which meant that he was um, keen for a move back to a higher level and moved on to Villarreal, where he continued that form uh, last season. People may remember him uh, being pretty prolific in the Champions League and uh, scored against Juve in the last 16, scored against Bayern in the quarterfinals. Uh, they run all the way to the semis where they were edged out by Liverpool. Scored the and important goals in the group stage against Atalanta. Absolutely, yeah. Um, team, yeah. And in fact, he was missing from the second leg against Liverpool and obviously Liverpool sort of edged through uh, by, by a single goal in that game. And if he'd have played, it might have been different, you know, such how important he was to the team. But yeah, it's gone a bit wrong for him this season since um, Unai Emery left. He had a really good relationship with him by all accounts. Um, but since he left, he's had a bit of a, of a, of a falling out with Setien and uh, injuries, which have been a bit of a theme of his career, um, have been a bit of an issue this season. He started the season uh, on the sidelines. So, yeah, um, not exactly a classic Conte signing, Danny, to be honest, um, in terms of reports of uh, falling out with teammates at times and certainly a recurring theme of, of 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 confidence or over overconfidence bordering on arrogance and uh, certainly not the best at tracking back as well by all accounts at Bournemouth and like i said not not a great injury record either on on the flip side the good stuff is that you know he's he's definitely a match winner on his day against any opposition can be very prolific certainly explosive certainly quick likes to take players on likes to excite the crowd definitely offers something i think that that spurs have, have been lacking um, and will be a very good bench option, you'd imagine, uh, for the majority of, of his time in the next few weeks and months. So, um, and offers Spurs a, a fifth senior forward option. Pete, at the risk of getting you into trouble with, with Spurs, and I, I really want to avoid that in the course of this podcast. Um, Me too. Do you still, yeah, do you still get terribly excited when a new player comes through the door? Or are you in the Danny Rose school of getting out Google? <laughs> no, I'm genuinely excited. Um you know, I think I think most people are excited by the transfer window anyway, because it is there is so much going on in terms of players moving about. I think this is potentially a, a, a win-win for Spurs. Um, you know, we we don't really know he's, what what he's going to be like. He had a, a very good season last season, but as you say, uh, it's not worked out for him for various reasons this year. I'm sure he wants a move given his current situation in Spain. So. Um, this is a, an opportunity for him. If it works out well and he does well for the rest of the season, then there's the o- option to buy. If it doesn't, then Spurs have lost nothing. But I think if you look back at a, a year ago and you look at um, Benton Kaur and Kulusevski coming in, that just transformed Tottenham season. They were absolutely instrumental in Spurs' run at the end of last season. Without them, I, I doubt they would have been top four. So if um, th- this guy can come in and, and, and have the same sort of effects, all well and good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, uh, you, we've, there's positives and negatives about him. I mean, You've already mentioned his brilliant form in the Champions League uh, you know, up to a few months ago, uh, Tim, and the fact that he didn't score 
if you want to do a negative, but he scored brilliantly and often for Bournemouth in the Championship, but didn't manage one in the Premier League. I've got a positive and a negative for you as well. Um, we'll start with the positive, I was always on the view from the lane. Um, and that is that, um, I think I'm right in saying that in the last 18 months, the season and a half, only one other player in La Liga has contributed 10 goals or assists with both left and right foot. And that's Vinicius Jr. So you're really uh, talking about star, star player in that case. Um, the negative is, of course, that Dan Juma didn't do enough last uh, last season, even when he was being absolutely brilliant, um, to force his way into the Dutch squad for the uh, recent World Cup. Um, his place was taken by somebody called Steven Bergwijn. Um, so, you know, it, it swings and roundabouts. I wonder as well, Tim, um, with your brainy hat on, whether this, um, this option to buy is at exactly the level that Spurs would hope to get uh, for money for Giovanni Lo Celso, who's in a reverse situation at Villarreal. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's linked, Danny. That's, it's a really good point, um, and it, it 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 is it is a low risk addition. And Spurs have struggled to fight on one front, sort of either side at Christmas at times. You know, with with the, with the squad depth, we looked at their bench sometimes, and and compared to the teams that they're competing with. It's been really poor. Um, I know they've had some injury injury issues, but to have five options up front, you know, some people kind of say, where does he fit in? You know, you've got his sort of preferred position. He's cutting in from, from the inside left position and you've got Son there and you've got Richarlison as an option. Well, you know, Son hasn't been scoring for a prolonged period of time now. So, um, and, and, and Richarlison still hasn't scored in the Premier League yet. So, I think um, I think it's a really smart move. Like I said, that there are some negatives to it, but if if he was if he was the perfect sign-in, then he wouldn't be coming in on loan, would he? So um, um, hopefully, Conte can get the best out of him. Is there any update on the Pedro Porro deal while we're while we're at the transfer window, team? No, obviously, um, uh, obviously things can wildly change, as you know. Uh, just ask Everton about that, but yeah. Um, um, yeah, it certainly seems that there's there's an increase in confidence that this deal can get done, and I mean it's it's become a saga now. I think we can say it's gone on that long, um, but yeah, they're 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 ed- edging closer to a deal. Uh, Sporting have been holding out for the release clause, but um, whether whether Spurs have to pay that remains to be seen. But there's a confidence I think on all sides that that this is very close to getting done now. Perhaps by the time that that you're listening to this, dear listener, and um, yeah. If, if they can get Poro over the line, him and him and Dan Juma are two really good additions in the space of a couple of days. You're listening to the world-famous View From The Lane podcast. Okay, that takes us then to our special guest today, Pete Abbott. Uh, you don't know him, but you do know him because he is the voice who, unless you're... I can't remember who he replaced. Um, I must have heard another stadium announcer, but I don't remember another stadium announcer. I just remember Pete's voice um, welcoming... Um, is it the players, officials, and supporters? What's the correct line here, Pete, when you're welcoming the oppo? Uh, and we now welcome uh, the players, officials, and supporters exactly, yeah. of whoever it is. <laughs> and did, did you invent that line, Pete, or was it already being said when you took the gig? Well, uh, to give you a little bit of history about uh, who, who was the, there before me, great. Willie Morgan, as far as I know, was the first Of course he guy. was, Willie, the great Willie and Morgan. And he, he was around for a long, long time. Yes. And as, as far as I know, he came up with that line. He certainly came up with the world famous home of the Spurs. Um, so I'm just I'm just following in his footsteps, really. But also Gary Stevens, our former player, did it for a couple of years. Did he? Um, he did. 
Um, nobody seems to remember his contribution. Poor Gary. But he, he did. Pete, let me ask you about your background then. I mean, I've known you for years and years and years. But of course, because we're working in radio studios together, in the breaks, we don't talk about football because we talk about football all the time. Pete's reading the news and the transfers and all the rest. It often comes in with breaking news. And we tend to talk about music because Pete is as mad about music as I am. And we'll get on to that a little later because, Tim, as you can see, Pete is not a fella in his teens um, although he could pass for a younger man if he got rid of that stupid beard, um, he is in fact a person. He is a person like my wife. He, he is in fact a person of, of a certain vintage, uh, Tim, who still goes to camp at Glastonbury, and that's oh, all. You, that's what you need to know about about the the abbot here. But Pete. Talk to me about how you came to be. Where are you from? How come you're a Spurs fan? Uh, well, I'm from from North London. I was born in Hampstead, and I grew up in uh, in Finchley. Um, so I've I've got I've got the right credentials there. Um, I'm a Spurs fan because of the Brazil side in the 1970 World Cup, which was a I was eight years old. It was a tournament that absolutely fascinated me. Fascinated me actually for months before it even started. Um, and to watch that Brazil side, the greatest side I think I've ever seen. Oh, Pete, you're, 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 I'm just working like a glove puppet because, of course, I have a, <laughs> I'm a couple of years older than you, but I've got exactly the same experience. My love of football was cemented by that tournament with that team. Yeah. Yeah. Then I looked around English football to find a team that played like Brazil. And this being 1970, there weren't too many of those around. And I just chanced upon... I used to watch football on TV all the time and I just liked Spurs. There was something about Spurs that I liked. There was something about the ground that I liked, even though I'd never been there at that point. Um, and I just like, latched onto Spurs. And of course, as soon as I went to my first game, 30th of January, 1971, um, against Everson, I was just hooked and that was it. Just so, just before we get onto your, your, your match day routines and things like that, uh, Pete, what are you... It's difficult, isn't it? Because we've seen Spurs teams win things and all the rest of it. And yet somehow, in my mind, the team that didn't win anything under Pochettino is one of my absolute favourites. What have been your highlights, do you think, of watching Spurs over the years? Pick a couple or three for us. Well, I, I certainly agree with that Pochettino team. I mean, even though it, it didn't win anything, it was a joy to go and watch them every week because you knew you were going to get entertained. You knew you were going to see something that was that, that was worth seeing. Um I think the, the the best team I've ever seen is the early '80s side. I think any 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 team that has a central midfield of Glenn Hoddle and Ozzy Ardiles is going to be something special. And it, again, it played wonderful football and provided a lot of memories. I mean, 1981 for me was one of the greatest evenings. The replay was one of the greatest evenings of my life. Um, the UEFA Cup final in '84 would be the same. Um, and you don't, you know, they, they are memories that do stick with you for, for your entire life. Um, the other memory, actually, I've got to say that, that has always stuck with me um, was a game which I actually consider to be possibly the, the most important game in the history of Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and that was a game against Hull City in the, in the season that we were in the second division. It was the last home game, the most extraordinary game I've ever been to in my life. Um and I've never seen such an outpouring of emotion at the final whistle of any game. Extraordinary. Tim, just to give you the background, Spurs had to, having led the second division um, for the whole season, suddenly um, putting themselves in a very difficult position to get promoted. They had to uh, beat Hull in the penultimate game of the season, the last game at home, to have any chance of going up. Um, and, it, and Pete will, will correct me if I'm wrong here, um, the winning goal came late, late, late in the game from a very unusual source. 
Steve Perryman played a thousand games outfield for Spurs and scored about three goals, and that was one of them. Is that right, Pete? If I got that right, it was Steve Perryman. It was Steve Perryman, yeah, and it was a very controversial goal because there was a, a blatant foul on the goalkeeper. Um, and of course, as soon as the goal went in, there must have been 2,000 people just rushed onto the pitch to celebrate. Pete, can I just ask, um, you mentioned um, how, the, how the Brazil 1970 team sort of inspired you then to, to to follow Spurs. Was there a player either in that era for Spurs or maybe later on who sort of epitomised the way that Brazil play and the way you like to your football teams to to play football? That, that, you know? Well, I, I wouldn't say he was very Brazilian, but Alan Gilzine was um, a, a, just a wonderful footballer. Um, and particularly brilliant with he, he, I think he's possibly the best header of a ball I've ever I've ever seen because he was he was able to pass a ball with his head like most players pass it with their feet. It was an extraordinary thing to watch because I've never seen anyone before or since do that. Certainly not in the in the, in the way that he did it. So I think he would epitomise that sort of style. He was a very stylish player, Gilzine. Um, and his his partnership with Chivers up front was um, was the stuff of legend. But if I had him and Phil Beal, I like Phil Beal, very elegant um, central defender. But th- th- those two would have been, um, you know, the, the, the two players that, that that I really took sort of inspiration from in that early team. After that game against Hull, Spurs then went for the last game of the season uh, to the old Dell at Southampton. A beautiful sunny day, as I recall, with both sides, Southampton and Spurs, needing just a draw to guarantee their promotion. In the first minute, Alan Ball, the ex-Arsenal dastard, hit the post for Southampton, which caused him, what the... And, you know, for the rest of the game, I don't think Southampton players passed to him as the lovely nil-nil draw was played out in the sunshine. Forgive my memory won't go as far. I'm not going to look it up like Jack Pitbrook. I think Bolton were promoted as champions. Spurs and Southampton went up behind them. And I think Sheffield United, it's all Sheffield United, isn't it? Sheffield United were the team who were badly done by. Pete, talk to me about, about how your how did you get the gig? Well, I'd actually worked for Spurs before that. Um, I, I worked for a company called Club Call, who... Um, used to do the old, before the days of the internet, and there was such a time, kids, the only way of getting information on your club was 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 a telephone line. Um, and I and I edited that for um, several years uh, before becoming stadium announcer. Tim, you're too young to have any recollection of Club Call, are you? No, I remember, I remember Club Call in the, in the early 90s. That's yes, the only way you could get your, your, your Wolves news. The long, waffly introductions to keep you on the phone for minute after <laughs> no, exactly, minute after yeah. minute. That's, <laughs> the way, that's how it worked. Um, so, yeah, that, that was, that was, that was um, how I was sort of first introduced to Spurs. Um, and then uh, Mike Rollo, the, the lovely commercial manager at the time, um, who was also responsible for what went out on the big screens at the, at the ground at the White Hart Lane, um, he got me to do the, the, the team news. I had to do the team news in the tunnel. So it was Gary Stevens was was a, sort of up there in the box doing all the main stuff, and I was just there to do the team news. Um, and then when Gary left, Mike said, "Well, do, do you want to take the main job?" And that's uh, and I said yes, and I've been there ever since. Um, what is how does your schedule work um, at the new stadium, for instance? Do you, you do you have to do warming up? Do you turn up uh, at two o'clock in the morning, or how, how does it work? I turn up probably between three and four hours before kickoff. Um, there are, it's now, I mean, it, when I first started, it was just, I mean, it was, it was, there were two people, basically two other people other than me involved in it. Now it's a massive production because it goes, it not only goes on the big screens, but it goes on um, the, the perimeter boards, all the ribbons around the stadium. It's all, it's all connected. Um, 
and all in sync. So there's a there's a lot more to it now. I mean, when I first started doing it, the TV side of it, or what, what went on the big screens, was controlled by two people in what effectively was, and I'm not joking here, a broom cupboard. You couldn't get more than two people in there. Now there's a huge editing suite with banks of monitors in front of you. And you, I mean, you know, they have the capability of doing whatever they want, pretty much. So it's it's a much bigger um, project and organisation now than it ever was. So it it does mean that you have to sort of prep for it a bit more than you used to. Um. So how integrated are you into into the club? For instance, how often, if ever, how, do you meet Daniel Levy? Does he know who you are? Um, I've met him a couple of times. I doubt he'll remember who I who I am. It was a few years ago. I mean, to be honest, not much now. When when I did the old Spurs line, I was down at the training ground all the time, interviewing players and managers, and so you, you know, you obviously you get to know a lot of people. Um, but now, it's you know, I, I just do what I do on a match day. Um, so you know, there's I, I'm integrated in in terms of what I do and the team that I do it with. Pete, can I ask? This might be a weird question, but uh, do do you have a particular routine of what you eat and drink before you start? Because you know you you don't want to eat a sausage roll two minutes before you're going on, and you got all the the the, the flaky pastry in your throat. You know you need to sound nice and smooth, right? You do, yeah. I, w- I mean, I, I I wouldn't ever eat anything, whatever it was, immediately before I was making any sort of announcement or or, or going on air in a radio studio or something like that. So. Um, yeah, I suppose you 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 don't really think about it, but it's just it's just something that I wouldn't I wouldn't ever do. I mean, it's it's important to. I mean, some names are hard enough to pronounce as it is without a, a mouthful of flaky pastry to, to add to it. Are there examples of that you can give us in terms of how you strike a different tone? Sometimes, you know, I'd imagine if if there's a particularly somber build up to a match, maybe Remembrance Day or I guess recently when the Queen died, I guess you've got you've got to strike that right tone, right? Or if it's a big Champions League game, you might be a bit more excitable. Is, is that those different considerations for you as well? There is, yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, a, a, a home goal is is announced in a completely different way to, a, to an away goal. Um, so there's an immediate difference there. Um, but it, it's interesting, it, it, announcing to an empty stadium, um, one of the games was the, the home game against Arsenal. We, we won 2-1. Toby Alderweireld scored a, a winner sort of fairly late on. Um, if there were 62,000 people in the ground, I mean, I would be giving that absolute full beans. But you can't do it. There's no point in doing that when there's when there's no one there. So, yeah, you do have to temper it for, you know, the situation that, that, that you're in. Why do you bother telling us the away scorers? Well, someone wants to know. The away, the away fans do. I know, but uh, I, I, always, I always find that a, a bit galling that we're even telling them who scored the goal. One of the things that's been happening on the podcast in the past, so the past few months has been a recognition that the music that gets played, there have been two music threads on the podcast. One, we've been trying to track down the original version, or the version that gets played of what is a, you know, quite an old song of McNamara's band at half time. And you've, you've been helping with that. And indeed, you've now found the recording that gets played at Spurs um, because it doesn't seem to be available on record. It must be specially recorded. But also, um, particularly Jack Pitbrook, who keeps across the new beat combos, um, says that there's been a change in the music policy at the stadium um, and that they're playing a lot more um, indie music from the early part of this century, you know. I don't know the Kooks and, uh, and 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 all kinds of, of of particularly British bands from that era. Now I did think 
Pete Abbott could be doing this because I know you love music, but who do, you don't do the music, do you? Not anymore. I used to. I oh. did it at White Hart Lane for, for, for 20 years, and I would always try and sneak some something in that um, probably shouldn't be there. Um, what, what do you think is, is the most unlikely thing you snuck onto into the playlist at Spurs? Oh, I got a Captain Beefheart track oh. in there once. <laughs> Can you remember which one it, it was? was? I do. It was called Too Much Time. Oh, it's yeah. off, uh, off the Clear Spot album. Yeah. Um, and it's actually nice. It's a, it's a nice song. It's yeah. almost like a sort of Motown song. Um, so you don't play the tunes now? I don't anymore. No, there's, uh, they've got a, 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 their own DJ who, who is responsible for it. Who is he? Because and... I've got to track this fella down. Do you know what he's called? I know his name's Kieran. Oh, there we go. <laughs> That's about as much as I can tell you. The, I, sh- the I shall find out for you, Oh, Danny, that'd be though. really helpful because I'm going to track Kieran down. Well, but we might get him on here to explain um, how this is a suitable track um, for the for, for the Spurs Stadium. Um, but we should mention your love of music, Pete, because it's something you and I have bonded over over the years. Um, and we often have very similar tastes in things. Why not? It's the classic rock canon. Where we diverge is now, look, you're, you're not a teenager. Um, so I used to always laugh, Tim, when it, we'd be coming up towards Glastonbury and Peter would be with me in the studio and I'd go, so, got your tickets? Yes, Danny, I've got my tickets for Glastonbury. Looking forward to seeing The Cure, are you? Yes, very much looking forward to seeing The Cure. Are you going to camp, Pete? Because, of course, when I was doing Glastonbury as a music journalist, we were staying in a lovely hotel called The Swan in Wales. Pete, are you still camping at Glastonbury, man? I am, if I can get a ticket. That's that's, that's become the problem. It's, hard, it's so hard now to get a ticket. Um, I haven't got one for this year yet, I'm, I'm, and, and I'm, I didn't get one last year at all. So it's it, yeah, it's something that really has become very, very difficult. But I, um, I'm hoping to go this year, and this I will be camping. It's the only, only way to do it. Danny. And who do you go with? Is, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Mrs. Abbott gets dragged along to this fiasco. Oh, she's been many, many, many times. She moaned about it like mad for the, the first time, um, and then the sun came out towards the end, and she had a whale of a time. And she's been back um, probably a dozen times since. Just to uh, to see a human side. Um, what's the biggest bollock you've ever dropped while doing the announcing at Spurs? You must have one emblazoned in, in, in your mind. Yeah, there, well, I mean, there's a few to be fair, but the, the worst one, I think. I think it might have been my, the first season I was actually doing it. Um, Stephen Carr, you might remember, scored, uh, I think it might have been his first Spurs goal, actually, an absolute belter against Man United in the do boring rain. Well, now I've got a whole bank of um, monitors in front of me and replays and all sorts. Back then, I didn't have any of that. Um, and I, at the moment he scored the goal, I was looking down at my script to see what I was doing next. Did he scored from miles out. You would know. Yeah, no, it was about yeah. 35 yeah. yards, yeah. And I, I heard the roar of the crowd. So obviously there's a goal, and I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't see who it was. And it looked to me as though everyone was congratulating Rolf Fox. So <laughs> that was the that, that was the announcement I made. First goal for Spurs, number seven, Rolf Fox, which would have been got... a novelty. Let's be fair. When if Rolf scored, <laughs> indeed, yeah. And then I got a few angry phone calls and uh, <laughs> to make a correction. The other bad one, actually. While we're at it, was um, Lorente when he it was actually before he was at, at Spurs. He was still at Swansea, but I spent the entire afternoon calling him Fernando Morientes. Oh dear, yeah. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, welcome back, everybody, to uh, the second half of The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. Tim Spears is with us as well as the stadium announcer at Tottenham Hotspur, Pete Abbott. And, Tim, um, you've got some updates on that 1978 season when Spurs got promoted out of the Bre- yeah, second level. breaking news from yeah. 1978. Here yeah. we go. Uh, yeah, no, I just looked at the table uh, during the break. And, um, yeah, Spurs finished third, uh, one point behind Southampton and two points behind Champions Bolton and edged out Brighton on goal difference. Um, but interestingly, they scored 83 goals, Spurs, which is more than any team in the top three divisions. And they only lost six matches. And only champions Nottingham Forest in the top league lost fewer matches in the top three divisions. So quite a team, that is. Um, Pete um, and uh, Tim, we, we, we talked a lot about this in the previous podcast. But um, what, what have you made of the season so far at Spurs? I think it's been probably more disappointing than I, than I expected it to be. I think you know when you look at the, the the fantastic run we had towards the end of last season, you just thought, yeah, okay, that's something to build on, um, and we've not really done that. The results have been um, a bit up and down. I mean, listen, it's not a disaster. We're fifth in the league, still in the Champions League, um, and still in the FA Cup. So there's there's plenty to play for. But it's just it's I don't know if it's something to do with the World Cup being in the in in the middle of the season, but it it just has been. The whole season just seems to be a bit disjointed um, up to this point. There've been there've been some some high spots. I think the four you know, nil win at Palace the other week and was certainly one of those. But it's just that consistency. You can't get that consistency right. And certainly, home form since the World Cup has been uh, has, has been very poor. Um, so that's something that, that that needs to be sorted out. 
but as I say, it's, there's still everything to play for. It's it's um, it's a long way from being a, a poor season. Well, we, you know, we we talked about Gary Neville laying the law down to Spurs fans on uh, on Sky the other day, saying, "Hang on, look at this, look at this, look at this." Yeah, it is all still to play for. I don't think the long the longer term unhappiness of some people um, about the Enoch ownership, which brings me on to another question. Um, do you think people like me and you who saw Spurs win, in my case, lots of trophies in the 70s, then the 80s and all the rest of it, do you think we're blasé about the fact that they haven't won a trophy for a long time? I mean, trophy droughts come, don't they? I mean, Manchester United is six years since they won anything. Um, Everton, it's an enormous amount of time. Newcastle, it's half a century. Although one of Newcastle and Manchester United are going to probably put that right in the League Cup. Um, in the next couple of months, um, do you are you are you desperate for a trophy, Pete, or do you just want to see the team play great football? I want both, ideally. Um, I, I think, and listen, I mean, it, it is an awful long time since Spurs won a trophy. It's far too long. It's, this is a this is a big club that should be, um, if not winning, at least competing for trophies on a on a, on a regular basis, and that hasn't happened. That's, that's not, not just a recent thing. That's that's been going on for the last thirty years. Um, so you can understand the frustration of fans because uh, you know it is football is about winning. It's not all about winning, but it is. I mean, winning is a very important part of it, um, and winning trophies is a very important part of it for for, for supporters. Um, and if you haven't done that for a long time, and and you know the supporters are looking at it and thinking, well, I can't see anything. I can't see anything exciting coming maybe in the future either at the moment. Um, then. You know they're they're going to get upset about it, um, so you can understand the frustration there. I mean, obviously you can, but it's 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 just the way it is, and it's been like this for a, for a, for an awful long time. Well, you are in the most competitive league ever. Um, I shouldn't use that as an excuse because uh, we saw what Leicester did, and we are seeing. I have to say these words very quietly. What Arsenal are doing, um, and but the but as I keep telling people, Arsenal are. If you're not happy with the way Spurs are right now, um, Arsenal are the inspiration because, let's not kid ourselves, it's exactly 12 months since Arsenal were in an identical position to Spurs. People protesting about the ownership, the team not quite clicking, the manager asking for patience, and boom, with a combination of circumstances, bit of magic, there they are, favourites for the title. You know, whether they'll win it or not is still very much to be seen. But, you know, it doesn't... Newcastle have shown it too. It doesn't take much to turn these football teams... I can talk not about clubs, but teams around. And, Pete, the... Uh, uh, what about... You, you talk about working in a, in a new um, modern studio in what is clearly uh, the best stadium of its kind in the world. Um, I can only really think of the... Uh, the, the Cowboy Stadium in the United States that has a, that can match it in any sport. When you sit there and knowing that the training ground is all the rest of it, uh, uh, every, all those things are in place. A, are you amazed? Because I'm sure you were broadcasting from much less salubrious circumstances uh, at White Hart Lane. What, what do you make of the of the infrastructure of the club now? Because it is, by most people's um, th- thoughts, just remarkable. Oh, it's it's been the great success story of, of, at the club in the last twenty years. Um, the stadium and the, and the training facility are both genuinely world class, um, and that you know, particularly the training ground. I think you know, if 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 you've got a, a training facility like that, that is surely going to help attract good players. Good players are going to want to to you know, are going to come there and think, well, this lot must be decent. Look at look at the facilities they've got. 
Um, so I, I, I think that has been the success story for, for, for Daniel Levy and for Enix since they've been there. The on-the-field stuff hasn't been as successful as, as, as everybody, and I'm sure them, them included, would have wanted. Um, but I think you have to give credit where it's due. And, and, and Daniel Levy has done an extraordinary job, not just with the stadium, but with the, with the training facilities as well. I mean, when I first started, the training facilities were an old council-run place in Mill Hill, um, which was terrible. I mean, it, it, honestly, it, you, you couldn't believe how bad those, those training facilities were at the time. And I remember when they moved to Chigwell, um, the, the the immediate improvement um, was was there to see. But I mean, this is this is another another level altogether with, with what they've got now in Enfield. It just struck me, Pete, that because um, Spurs don't win the league, um, I think I can say that with uh, reasonable certainty. Um, the you don't get to um, announce. You haven't got to announce them winning trophies um, at White Hart Lane, as of course they did win the. UEFA Cup in the early 80s at home. That's not, it's not the way it works. What would you say has been the most... And, of course, things like Amsterdam happened away from home, essentially, after a terrible performance at the lane. To, to finish talking about your career there, can you remember the most excited you've ever been at White Hart Lane, the biggest thing you've had to announce? Uh, there's a couple. I think the, the game against um, Inter Milan at White Hart Lane, which was the, 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 the Taxi for Mycon game, um, that is probably as excited as I've ever been at a Spurs game, I would say. I certainly, that's the best atmosphere I've ever heard, I think, at, 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 certainly at White Hart Lane. Um, so the, that, that one was a, that was a special evening. The other one that sticks out in the memory is the, the 9-1 against Wigan. Um, Their goal was handball, by the way. It, it was yeah. handball, indeed yeah. it was. But the, the, the extraordinary thing about that game was nobody at half time, nobody saw that coming. It was 1 0 to Spurs at half time. Peter Crouch has scored a, cra- a, a scrappy goal, and nobody expected what, what was uh, coming in the second half. And there was, it's the only game in all the ones that I've, that I've done where I've lost track of the scoreline. Um, and I actually had to ask Simon, the guy who used to. Um, operate the, the the screens at Spurs, what the score, what the score was. Right, let's move from talking about things out in the past to the immediate future. Uh, Spurs have an FA Cup tie. I mean, it's it, for fans of, um, for legacy fans, as we get called, the thought of Preston North End against Tottenham Hotspur is it's just one of those fixes that looks right, even though they haven't probably played each other for a quarter of a century. They may have played in a cup that I don't remember. Um, Tim, you're in and around the club. Um, how seriously are they taking the FA Cup this year? And how important, therefore, is this game? It's been 14 years since they played Preston, Danny. A 5-1 five, a five away win in what was known as the Carling Cup. Um, incredibly, or not so incredibly, because Preston haven't been in the top flight for a while, but they haven't played Preston in the league since 1960-61. How seriously will they take it? I think... I think pretty seriously, to be honest. And the fact that there's no league game for eight days afterwards will help. The fact that they've got uh, injured players now back and a new sign-in will help. And um, yeah, he went really strong in the League Cup, didn't he, before uh, Christmas, surprisingly, at Nottingham Forest. And then for the Portsmouth game in the FA Cup, we made eight changes, but went with the with the strongest front three. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would suspect um, a strong 11. I mean, Preston are... Having a decent season, they're 11th, but they're only two points from the playoffs. In classic championship style, one win separates 5th from 12th. People might remember Preston's extraordinary start to the season, where in their first eight games, there were three goals scored. 
uh, two for Preston, one for the opposition. So, um, XG. So, that, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, incredible, really. So, um, they don't score many, but they don't concede many. So, you know, they'll be tough to beat. It'll be rowdy there. It'll be, you know, a big atmosphere at Deepdale, huge game for them. Yeah, I mean, Preston, I mean, a very, very famous old name. And, and I mean, when the draw was made, I mean, Spurs were, were not playing particularly well and not really getting any results. And as soon as I saw the draw, I thought to myself, oh, I mean, that's got upset written all over it. I'm a bit more confident about it now, actually, because, uh, you know, the, the results have been better. And certainly away from home, we seem to be a better team right now than than, than we are at, at home. Um, so I'm, I'm a bit more confident about it than I was when the draw was made. But, um, yeah, it's... Let, Blimey, let, let, Pete, you, you really comes, are suffering. If you well. don't think they can beat Preston, you're really suffering. Well, we, listen, we've been there before. How many times have we been there before? I can remember in the 1970s, we never won an FA Cup tie. We got beaten by all sorts of people. Um, it happens. Cup upsets happen. You just don't want to be on the end of it. But... Um, Let's hope. Let's well, hope we're It's already not. been a particularly good, a rich season for them, which is all the more reason to keep uh, to keep putting out decent teams because already some of the potential winners uh, are out of the tournament. Um, again, this is, uh, and of course Arsenal or City will go on Friday. Yeah, yeah. So this is um, this is tricky because we don't know he's going to play, and predicting the future in football is a mugs game. Um, but it is possible this is the game in which uh, Harry Kane will break. Jimmy Greenman already equaling it. I must say, Pete, a big tear came out of my my eye and rolled down my fat face when he got the got the winner at Fulham. Um, because Pete, you probably just missed Jimmy Greaves by one season. Um, I saw the last two years of Spurs, um, and I don't know. Is it just a function of age that I'm actually looking forward to breaking this record? I want to know that everything I know is partially wrong because Jimmy Greaves's record. And I'll repeat this when he does finally break it. Um, has seemed to be a set in stone um, as, you know, Everest being the highest mountain in the world. I never in my wildest dreams thought a player would come on. Well, think about it. Think about it. It's, a, it's 10 seasons with an average of 26 goals a season you've got to do. Now, Kane has done it quicker than that. It's, it really is an extraordinary thing when he does it. When, yeah, definitely when. I mean, yes, he, he has been a remarkable footballer. I've got to say, and I'll hold my hands up now, when he first came into the team, I taught myself, no, he's not going to make it. He's not good enough. He's not oh, quick Abbott, enough. Abbott, Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hold my hands up. But he's been, he's been a phenomenon. He loved, I mean, like all great strikers, he loves scoring goals. Um, and he is unbelievably good at it. We are so lucky to have had someone of this calibre playing up front for as long as he has at, at Spurs because they just don't come around often um like 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 that and um i think he's as you say i, I just miss jimmy Greaves, but he's he's easily the best striker i've ever seen at spurs yeah and he, he may be i mean i mean if i push you is he the best player you've seen at spurs uh it's still glenn hoddle for me to of be course, honest that, that um, is the answer you're bound to give but... <laughs> i always say i always say this I and mean, it bemuses people i say Glenn Hoddle was the best player I ever saw playing at Spurs, and he wasn't even the best player in the midfield he was in because our dealers was in many ways a better player. Um, extraordinary yes, luck yeah. again. Yeah, I mean, Ozzy would probably be my second favourite player of, uh, of all time, but but Harry Kane would have to be out, up there. And, and certainly, I think you become more nostalgic once they've, they no longer play for your team. So in years to come, I suspect he will be, I mean, he may well even eclipse the great Hoddle. 
Uh, thank you all for listening for the last little while. We'll be back on Monday and we'll be, we'll be hopefully talking about the end of the transfer window, what Spurs have done in and out, and hopefully a victory um, over Preston North End and maybe even um, a record-breaking uh, goal for the great Harry Kane. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, um, what are you doing with your life? Uh, sign up now and read all of the in-depth coverage about Spurs from Jack Pitbrook and Tim, um, as well as everything else that's on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for one ninety nine a month for the first 12 months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with you next week. Bless you all. The Athletic.